welcome back to Getting to Know You. I'm excited about our guest this week. Uh, she is a relatively new parishioner, but she's extremely active. Uh, this is uh, Chelsea Duffy, who has, in the short amount of time, uh, been a parishioner. Uh, you'll see her uh, at mass with her family. You will see her active in the Facing Racism group. You will see her uh, very uh, st helping to start off the new Moms Group initiative and uh, <laughs> has single-handedly taken over and done an amazing job of St. Sebastian's social media uh, venture. So uh, I knew I had to uh, um, uh, interview her and, well, he hello, Chelsea, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think I might just talk the whole time? I mean, if you want to go right ahead, I'll take a nap. It'll be great. <laughs> I've, got, I've got nice things to say about you. What I was going to say is we are doing this interview in the nick of time because mm -hmm. in a minute now, what's happening in your life? Well, hopefully not any minute now, but I am 32 weeks pregnant with baby boy number two, yeah. but I do get a lot of questions now that I'm really, really showing. It's like, when are you due? Like a lot of people give me that like double take. Like, are you sure it's April 23rd? I am sure it's April 23rd. Hopefully everything will be uneventful and nice, easy labor and I'll have another cute little baby. So. so so do you have like a standard response when people talk to you about pregnancy or, or do you? Oh, it, it really varies. And sometimes it depends on my mood at the time because the ruder responses tend to elicit ruder reactions. But, you know, I'm working on that. It's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a trial of patience, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, um, how are you feeling right now? A pretty good. Um, you know, every pregnancy is different. Um, the one thing that's the same, though, is this kid wiggles just like my son wiggles. And it makes sense. They're both boys. And, it's getting cramped inside me. So it's just, you know, feel motions all the time, but that's kind of the fun part of pregnancy is like that bonding that you have um, with those movements that start out really little and cute and they get more aggressive as pregnancy goes along. So. I just, I just realized I have the wrong setting for, there. Okay, now it's just gonna be on you and, and so. Oh, okay. <laughs> That'll be a, a little change. Um, yeah. My, my uncle, who's a child psychologist, always used to say uh, that people would ask me, he had two sons, Kevin and Brendan. And when Brendan mm -hmm. was born, people said to him, well, you must be very comfortable because you already have Kevin, you know, no problem, you know, with the second, right? And, and he said, the only thing that I knew about raising Kevin was how to raise Kevin. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's you take the rule book and you throw it out like every time. And we were, my husband and I were just talking this morning with the pandemic, like so much about this is different and you just have to roll with it. You know, babies come when they come and the circumstances change and you just roll with it. Have you practiced um, like your proper breathing with a mask on? So I'm very lucky that I'm delivering at a hospital where while I'm in labor, I'm not required to wear a mask. Oh, cool. And my OB was like, yeah, that's the only time I see the other half of my patient's faces is during delivery. Otherwise, it's like this for nine months straight when she's meeting with me. So I feel lucky there because as a person who's been through labor before, doing that with a mask sounded very, very difficult. Yeah. Usually wearing a mask is not much of a sacrifice with everyday life. Yeah. During labor, that's a special level of sacrifice. I, I would say that's the next level, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, yeah. thanks so much for doing the interview with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I've I, I really enjoyed getting to know you over the last few months. You, you have been a prisoner for how long? Oh, gosh. We 
probably joined like very early spring of 2020. Okay. Like we joined and then very shortly afterwards, it's like, and we're not meeting in person for mass and the whole state's gonna shut down. And that was sort of it. So like, we barely got to know a soul before like all this happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I will say like your initiative, I mean, it says so much about your character. Like I kind of rattled off a lot of the things you're doing. I'm sure it's just a list of things, but uh, you have been extremely active, especially as someone who's brand new, especially someone uh, entering in a pandemic. But, but let me, let, let's go back a little bit. Tell us, uh, tell us about you for people that don't know you. Yeah. Um, well, one thing you'll probably learn about me pretty quickly is I'm a Catholic convert. I actually grew up in um, like an evangelical background and I didn't convert until it was 2016. So at the time I was dating my husband, but I will tell you, I did not convert for him. It was actually one of those funny circumstances. So I've been involved with the pro-life movement since I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And naturally a lot of evangelicals and Catholics mix in pro-life circles. Sure. And I got to just meet these amazing Catholic friends who were on fire for their faith. And with my background, I always thought the Catholics were like, oh, I've got to go to CCD class. Like that was my impression of Catholics was right. like people begrudgingly being shoved into, you know, youth ministry stuff. And, um, once I got to know these friends in pro-life circles who really truly fundamentally believed what they believed, it made an impression on me and planted a lot of seeds to the point that when I moved up to the Milwaukee area, I was living in um, a duplex apartment situation with both the women I was living in my upper unit and the lower unit. They were all Catholic women on fire for their faith. Oh, wow. And um, living just downstairs from me was, uh, is who eventually became my sponsor and my maid of honor at my wedding. And she was just great because I just go up to her, I'd go downstairs and be like, so um, what's the deal with Mary? Yeah. And she never, she never was taken aback. She was just like, okay, so this is what we believe. And yeah. I, I credit her a lot for dealing with a lot of my more uninformed questions and just kind of walking with me through that um and my roommate at the time was actually also a parishioner at sebs although because of the pandemic you, you don't see her as often too but um you know we we stay in touch all the time and it's just great to have those ladies still in my life after walking with me on that journey and from my husband's perspective we were very casually dating at the time as i was asking these questions so he's just like oh this a girl I kind of like her you know I don't know what's going on and then he hears I'm interested in becoming Catholic and he's like well that's a freebie like <laughs> hey I, I don't even need to bring that up you know so um and he had more of the perspective of like the cradle Catholic having to scramble to find answers when I'd also ask him questions like what's with all the kneeling he'd be like um let me Google that real quick. <laughs> that's just the thing. When I'm doing, a, a lot of times, I think cradle Catholics are like, I, the answer is, I don't know. It's just what we do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, I could just tell God was putting the right people in my life at that time mm -hmm. as I was asking those questions to get them answered. And like, by the time, um, it was like fall. So I went through RCA at the Basilica and they started their classes around fall. So by the time fall, um, 
was rolling around that was fall of 2015. I'm like, all right, sign me up for these classes. Let's do this. And it was a really beautiful experience too, because our um, class in RCA at that time had so many people from completely different walks of life. And to have that experience of like growing in our faith together, asking the same questions, even though we're coming from totally disparate situations, it was absolutely incredible. So Easter Vigil, I am crying like a baby because I'm like, I've waited months for this. And this has just been such a wonderful journey. And it was like, you know, I'm looking back because people were taking photos because I was getting confirmed and it was my first communion. Yeah. I am there a red slobbery mess. I'm just like <laughs> so happy. I'm finally Catholic. It's official. <laughs> As an RCA coordinator, you sound like the dream candidate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, um, I was uh, I, I was gonna ask you. Well, first of all, I was gonna say it's so good you found the right Catholics in your life because there are definitely Catholics that mail it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's just I just want to put that on the table. But yeah. also, as someone, and I've mentioned this before in these interviews, as someone that does do RCAA, like it is such a important uh, life giving part of the ministry when people are like genuinely discerning and asking questions about faith it can be like a really uh like privileged time to walk a journey with someone yeah well especially since you know when you're choosing this as an adult completely outside of the typical paradigm we have for faith formation for your average cradle catholic it's like i chose with the entirety of my will to pursue this. And that means like there's there's sacrifice involved with that, whether it's your time, whether it's changing from your faith of origin, which is hard with family dynamics. Um, like there's, there's a lot that goes into that. So to fully choose that as an adult is a special experience. And I also remind myself, because for a while when you're a brand new Catholic as an adult, you're like, I don't know anything. I can barely say the meal prayer. I don't feel like I belong. I would just remind myself, like the early church was all adult converts. Like it, it was all of us clues people going, all right, yes. let's let's figure this out. We're new. And and that's been a great comfort to me to just remember like adult converts have been such a huge part of the church from the very beginning. Absolutely. And in we've fact, got that. Yeah. <laughs> and I've heard it said like all adults should go through the process. Not yeah. because they need to, their own conversion, but because of the holes we talked about. You, you know, you. Well, yeah. We do what we do. We do because we do it. You know, even yeah. like the, yeah. I always use the example of like let let the Lord be on my heart, my mind, yeah. on my heart. I'm like, how many Catholics have no idea what we are doing there, but they know we're supposed <laughs> to make this. Uh, this yeah. Here. So, uh, anyways, um, I, I think everybody would benefit. So, anybody out there that would like to uh, help <laughs> or be a part of RCA, let me know. Um, I wanted to ask. I want to follow up. You said since you were 15, you've been really passionate about pro-life. Where, where does that come from? Yeah. So when I was um, a teenager, like I grew up in, you know, evangelical pro-life household, but it wasn't until I was a teenager that my mom shared when she was pregnant with me, one of her friends was pregnant mm -hmm. and she was eventually coerced into an abortion because the father of the child did not want to support the child. Oh, wow. And so my mom, that always felt very difficult for her because she wanted to support that friend and be with her in that time. And her friend felt helpless. And, you know, a few months later, I was born. A few months later, her friend was, you know, 
living with that decision. And, you know, so my mom shares this with me and I'm like, well, there's something wrong with that. Like if that's like the difference between life and death are those little decisions, there's something wrong with that. And so as a teenager, my, my sense of justice was like, we got to do something. (laughs) Um, And I eventually um, stumbled upon Wisconsin Right to Life's teen camps, which they hold every summer when there's not a pandemic. Um, And they just kind of walk teenagers through like Pro-Life 101, not only on the abortion issue, but on euthanasia, medical ethics, all that. And it just like flashed a light bulb in my brain, like this is important. and especially as I've continued along through the years with my involvement. So I was involved as a teenager, kept volunteering throughout college. Um, right after I graduated college, Wisconsin Right to Life ended up hiring me in a different role than I am in now. But the more I work with them, I see dehumanization is a very common human problem. like. There have been different iterations of dehumanization throughout the course of human history. It affects way more than just the abortion and end of life issues. But I feel passionately that everybody should follow their own calling for where they feel they wanna stand up for human rights. So like during my day job, that's on the abortion issue, end of life issues. And then in my spare time, it's the Facing Racism group. And I know everybody's got their own passions and I'm really big on where you feel called go because there's a reason you feel passionate about that specific avenue. And so that's kind of been my growth over the course of my pro-life work is I know where my passions are and I know I'm supposed to follow those calls as I go along. Well, yeah. And it's, I mean, you articulated that so well, you should be, you should, uh, you should do commercials. <laughs> but let me say two things. First of all, um, I'm going to pause real quick. My husband is vacuuming because he's being an amazing husband and cleaning. So I'm going to close the door and be right back. <laughs> Much better. All right. We can uh, here's the question. Should I leave that in or edit it out? Because you gave him a nice compliment. <laughs> up to you i'm sure he'll appreciate the compliment if he hears it otherwise i'll tell him later <laughs> no, no, um, <sighs> what i was gonna say is two things one uh you articulated so well and mm-hmm. two j- j- just your story about that your mom told that you could have had like this peer <laughs> that just yeah peer. yeah, it was a, I, I, yeah. It's an interesting perspective i uh i've never thought of it from that perspective before and it's like there, mm-hmm. there's there's someone missing uh, in your yeah. world that could have walked a journey with you. And that's, that's really heartbreaking. Um, the, the, the second thing I want to say is you spoke so well about, you know, the, the whole ethic of life issue. I think so much, my, my talk always goes to dignity, you know, like, uh, yeah. and, and so like wherever there is people uh, uh, not respecting dignity is where we're called to, to, to speak up. And, and yeah. it's, a, it's a strong part of our faith. And yeah. Um, I I do think that our parish uh, is attempting to do it well. Yeah, well, and I could tell because so often just maybe in larger Catholic circles or even just the culture at large, there's this idea that like, oh, it's the pro-lifers versus these other groups that care about social justice. Yeah. And it it drives, you know, yeah, you see that all the time. And I feel like the benefit of specifically being a Catholic and living the Catholic faith is that there is no conflict with that instead i recognize 
like those that I work with in the Facing Racism group, that's their passion. I'm not going to disparage them and say, why aren't you doing more pro-life stuff when I know they're doing amazing work right now? And it should be the same way, vice versa. Like where God is calling you right now, he knows you have the gifts to contribute to that. So gifts and passion and time probably, but you're right. This it's a wonderful example of the other thing I talk about a lot is the both and of Catholicism. It's either or you don't have to pick this. These are all integrated and it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You have, you've talked about your faith so well, but I want to directly ask you the question. Is there anything specifically you want to say about, you know, the role of faith in your life? Yeah. Oh gosh. It's keeping me going. Well, navigating both parenting and living in a pandemic. I I feel like I keep going on about this, but like nobody created a rule book. You know what? You can say like, oh, there are parenting books out there. There's none for parenting during a pandemic and doing it while pregnant and working full time. It's been a journey, (laughs) Um, you know, and just being able to keep my head above water and just recognizing like there's lessons to be learned from this time um even if it you know doesn't feel very great like to know i've been forced to have more time either by myself or with my family at home and there's a lot of blessings that do come with that um at the same time it doesn't mean it's all like roses and happiness because there are several times throughout the day where i'm like I'm in the middle of a conference call and my toddler is screaming and I'd really just rather be taking a nap right now. Um, but I feel like God's been giving me a lot of little lessons in the quiet moments that have been kind of thrust upon me because of these circumstances that ultimately he'll use for his good, even though in the meantime, in the trenches, it's it's a tiring experience. <laughs> I mean, you bring up a good point that uh, like you have every excuse in the world to check out of things. And like I said, <laughs> you've been so active in your faith. Where do you think the energy and the passion come from? Um, part of it is my, my background working for um, the pro-life movement and working with volunteers. I've developed a keen sense of if you want to change something, you better volunteer for it in some way, put some skin in the game. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's frustrating when you're on the other side and you really want to get something done and you want volunteers to commit in some way. And you're not asking for a whole hog commitment, but an hour a week or something like that. I, 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 I know what that's like on the other end. So look, when Father Peter Patrick asked me to help with the social media stuff, I'm like, okay, yes. But also keep in mind, I'm having a baby in April and I might just like randomly reach out and say, it's not happening this week. Like I'm giving him all the caveats of why it's going to be tricky. But at the same time, I'm being upfront. Like I want to help with this because I want to see it improve because I I do have a, a passion for that. At the same time, there are limits to it. And as long as I can be clear about that, it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was, but that's when I met you. I met you and you came in and he said to me before, he's like, I'm meeting with this new parishioner. She's got an expertise in social media. I'm going to see if she can help us. And I was mm-hmm. like, I honestly, I think I said to him like, hold on. I mean, <laughs> you're just meeting her, you know, <laughs> and, and to his credit and he does it so well, he did this with the mom's group too. Uh, yeah. He just sees uh, gifts and then he invites and mm-hmm. you were just so receptive to that. Yeah. Well, and part of it, I did admit to him, I have a lot of pet peeves about <laughs> these sort of things. Like 
especially coming from an evangelical background, you can just look up your average like non-denominational church and they have an excellent communications plan and outreach and professional graphic designers. And I'm like, all right, I know how to use a template in Canva and make it look pretty enough. And I, I see it as sort of an evangelization issue. It's like, I want to at least present the best that we can about what makes this faith community so special. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfection, but to just communicate clearly, like anybody belongs here we care passionately about all these different aspects of social justice. Like we embrace our faith. We have an active community where it's not just funerals every week. We have baptisms, we have families. Like communicating that in the online sphere, I feel is important. Now, granted, it's not the sole part of our role in evangelization, but it's one aspect that I feel like has been neglected by a lot of Catholic churches compared to our Protestant brethren. And so, when Father Peter Patrick asked him, like, you're asking the person with a lot of pet peeves. So I guess I have to say yes, because I wanted to be better, you know? Yes. Um, and it's it's hard when it's in a volunteer role, because there was a volunteer before me who managed social media. And it's just, it's hard to just take time out of your busy schedule to, like, dedicate time and think it through and have a greater plan. But Father Peter Patrick's has always been good about just communicating, like, here's what's a priority right now. Just sending me an email and giving me something to share out there. Or we have really active groups at the parish, like Facing Racism, who are just constantly giving me things to share and get out there that shows how active St. Sebastian as a community is. Yeah, and you do such a good job. I mean, everything looks, you 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 minimize it by saying, oh, I simply on Canva, but you always do such a beautiful job. Um, but I also would be remiss to say there there is a, a, a small volunteer army that, that works on uh, communications at SEBS that all uh, are very yeah. selfless and do a, a very good job. But you yeah. have been such a wonderful addition. So thank you for that. I'm trying. I'm trying. You think about, when you think about uh, getting to know Sebs a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. I, I kind of mentioned some of the things you're active in. What, what, uh, what's touching your heart right now as far as being an active member at St. Sebastian's? Yeah. Um, well, with the, the two groups I've been primarily involved in, what's impressed me about the Facing Racism group, and as somebody who's like grown up in, in church life yeah. all her life, um, everybody there is so incredibly mission focused. There are a lot of church groups that can get caught up in, oh, should we serve cookies or brownies at our next event? Yeah. And instead it's like, no, so here's the latest update about this piece of legislation that you know we're connecting it directly to our faith and how we should take action. Or here are the prayers that we're gonna offer to our greater community to raise awareness about racial justice. And like, everybody's just so focused on doing these amazing things there there is no room for just the bric-a-brac that you might see with other church groups it's um a, it's impressive it's, and to answer your question yeah. the, the answer is always cookies and brownies it's yes both, it's the both and absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yes yes but that's what's impressed me about the facing racism group and with the moms group that we're just starting i've been blown away with how much this is clearly filling a need right now. So Father Peter Patrick very wisely put out that initial call, like, hey, we should form a mom's group. 
And because I do work with communications, I offered, oh, okay, people can email me if they're interested in the group. Within a week's time, we went from an email list of like five people to over 20 people. Like there was a real need and hunger for community, even though we're not gathering together, we can't be in person. And it's been amazing just to see that response. And I hope that keeps growing because even when we do start meeting in person, there's going to be new parents joining the parish, folks just going through the baptism classes thinking, all right, now what? Now do I, how do I raise this kid in the faith? Like that's not an easy task. <laughs> um, and I'm really excited to see how that group grows to continue to address those needs specifically for moms in both the St. Sebastian and St. Catherine communities. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good collaborative effort too between. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's brand new. So if there's uh, young moms out there, I mean, moms, you don't have to be a young mom. You just, but, yeah. but mo most of the moms have young children is what I meant. Yeah. 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 Well, and we've been blessed with like a lot of the school families coming in too, which is a great like moment of perspective for me. Like, I know eventually I'll be in that stage as well. So they're talking about, you know, transitions from having little, little kids that are completely dependent and up in your face to like grade school kids who are getting ready to go to high school. And it's a whole different phase. And it's really a blessing to be able to like share different perspectives. Cause I'm currently in the trenches with the little littles right now where privacy is just an amazing luxury. And now, you know, they're in the phase where they have teenagers and it's more about engaging and trying to keep up that communication. And I feel like there's a lot to be said for having a community with moms from different walks of life because yeah. we really can support and learn from each other in those different stages. And if you don't pay attention, it goes so goes by so fast. As I've said many times, I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old. And I was like, they were babies a second ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so get ready. Yeah. 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 I hope you get ready, Chelsea, because it's going to go fast. So um, <laughs> my last question for you is, as you think about the future, what do you hope for? Gosh. Well, the obvious one is the end to the pandemic. Oh, yeah. That's good. Um, for kind of on a greater scale, um, especially after having more quiet time because of the pandemic is I hope people recognize the need for us to all build skills in reconciliation. Hmm. Like there's been so much division. Yeah. And when you actually sit down and talk with somebody who thinks very differently than you, you actually find more commonalities than you realize. And I say this is like, I have coworkers that I have very different perspectives with. I have friends that I have very different perspective with, but at the same time, I know their intentions are good yeah. and that we can work on that common ground of having good intentions for either our country or our, you know, respective faiths, like, you know, in general, the Christian community, and that's a starting point. And I hope we build that up more as like skills to be able to get more reconciled just as a people, you know, because our, our social fabric has been tearing apart a lot while we've all been yeah. apart from each other. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's a good hope. And I, I agree with you. I think often our, our actions are different, but our motivations are, are, are the same. And, yeah. and for me too, I, I feel like people respond better to, if you're having a conversation about the consequences of actions, because there are real consequences to actions that have a negative effect. But if you at least can start the conversation with, I know your intentions are here and those are good. 
I too share those good intentions. Let's talk through the consequences of these different types of actions. And it like changes the whole framing of the conversation and it ends up with way less yelling, way less name calling. <laughs> and it's just more productive overall. Um, especially in my pro-life work, I've learned you go a lot farther when you have the conversations that really change hearts and minds versus the ones where I'm like, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And here's the truth. And yeah. this is the truth. Yeah. Um, people just don't listen. And it doesn't detract from the truth when you're just approaching somebody at their level. Instead, it's actually getting them closer to the point of truth. But it requires a lot more patience. And I feel like we're all a little short on that these days. So I hope we build up our resilience to yeah. be patient enough to have those conversations. I, I was just watching a movie last night and I don't mean to sound controversial, but I'm gonna say it, I think it's interesting. They, they're talking about the two political sides and they said one side uh, tries to motivate through fear and the other mm -hmm. side tries to motivate through shame. Uh, mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that is the dangers of both those sides. That yeah. I think what you're talking about is um, how do we respectfully dialogue with one another? And yeah. it, it's what we, it, we didn't always used to be bad at it, but we seem to be bad at it right now. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's just a whole nother level. And so I've had to purposefully like just check myself. I'm like the very least I'm responsible for myself. Yeah. Right. So maybe the bare minimum I can do is be a little less snarky when I disagree <laughs> with somebody. Um, and maybe have more of those meaningful conversations with people I fundamentally disagree with on some things. Um, because it just it moves the dial a little further to being a little bit more human with yes, each other. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a, again, another reason I love these conversations because it's been an opportunity to have a little bit more in-depth conversation and then, and, and to model it and also to see, um, get to hear people's perspectives a little bit. So, yeah. Um, I, I think people could hear, uh, the work that you do and make all sorts of assumptions and the way you articulate your, uh, I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it, it was wonderful. You 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 articulate uh, your faith and, and your work very well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm used to stereotypes. Trust me, as a pro-lifer, especially, people are like, "Oh, are you doing this, this, and this?" So <laughs> you have to have a practiced answer. Um, I used to joke like when I'd go and get a haircut, and somebody would ask, "Where do you work?" And I'd be like, "All right, do I say Wisconsin Right to Life, or do I say a nonprofit and hope they glaze <laughs> over that so I don't have to have the whole conversation?" Um, you know, so. You know, God's kind of been on my corner with that, with helping me discern when to bring that up and when to have those more meaningful conversations. And it's, then, like your, it's like your pregnancy talk. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How are you feeling? Are you sleeping? Yeah, oh, no, I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, uh, this has been an absolute delightful conversation. I really appreciate you talking to me today yeah. and, uh, and sharing so much uh, with the parish, but also just kind of uh, re reinvigorating the spirit of the community with your own spirit too. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm trying. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and and, and uh, I know I'll see you before this, but uh, absolute blessings uh, on your, the end of your pregnancy and the beginning uh, in a pandemic with, a, with an ever-growing family. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day. And uh, again, blessings. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>